Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch. I am a real estate broker practicing in the greater Toronto area. I am absolutely in love with real estate and the country of Canada. <laughs> and it is it is my goal to become a cross-country, not skier, cross-country real estate agent, coast to coast. And I'm joined here by the lovely... You're, I swear to God, every time I see you here on this Zoom, your hair gets better. Nick. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> you know what the worst part about the hair is, is that we, so I just posted that global news TV interview that we did, which there's a whole story about because they actually took the wrong clip and used it. So I'm actually describing something incorrectly, but half the comments are about the hair. I'm like, you know what? I got to wear a hat next time. It's just, <laughs> it's taken away from what I'm actually trying to do here. To be fair to the global news thing, they did cut it pretty well for people who don't necessarily have an understanding of what they're asking us to provide an opinion on. But also, I'm glad because they could have very easily cut it into some doom and gloom, like everyone's going to get triggered by trigger rates or something. And, <laughs> and they didn't do that. So they, I was actually really impressed with their journalism on that that topic. So was I. And, and I, I'd like to think it was a more of an honest mistake. I did talk about several different types of mortgage products and they just used the wrong one. But Regardless, thanks for the compliments, Dan. As always, excited to be here myself. I'm a mortgage agent, real estate investor, and I do this little podcast here with Dan. And I think that's a good segue for me. I, I wrote a little piece I wanted to start this off with. Now, we will be jumping into Korea stats and, and some growing and slowing markets across the country, but I want to start things off with a little anecdote from my life. So, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I can comfortably say that almost every day for the past several, several years, I've listened to at least one podcast. Now, these podcasts have changed my life and have been a big part of getting me to where I am today. Now, every single podcast, big or small, that I listen to, there is some call to action. And it goes something like this, usually at the end. If you like this podcast, please leave a five-star rating or leave us a review. Sounds familiar and sounds simple, right? On YouTube, that's what is that? Smash that like button, baby, or smash whatever. Smash the like button. Yeah, we don't we don't smash buttons on on the podcast. We're well, a bit you more can't refined. like phones. You tap gently. There tap. we go. We'll leave the smashing of the YouTube buttons to to Jordan Skrinko. But so again, it seems like such a a simple ask, right? Well, it it is simple, but I'm guilty. Of probably the same thing that most of you are. I'm guilty of having the best intentions and supporting my favorite podcasts, but I'm usually driving to a property or a project or or working out on a bike ride, on a walk, or cleaning the house, doing something else that prevents me from doing that single task and, and completing that one single ask. And now I, I find it ironic that I'm back in the seat asking our supporters of the podcast to do the same thing. So the roles are reversed. So I think it was Gandhi that said, be the change you want to see in the world. So that's what I'm doing. I have started to leave reviews wherever I can, wherever I get great service or wherever someone has provided value to me. So whether that's a restaurant, a hotel, or a small business, it goes a long way. And for me, who's had several small businesses, I don't think most people understand what it means to get a positive review. It also creates 
for you, the person leaving the review, a positive feedback loop. So you put something positive out there, eventually that positivity will find its way back to you. And there's nothing better than supporting the people, products, services, and companies that you use and love. That being said, I've gone back and left ratings on all the podcasts I've been listening to for years. I've gone back and left ratings for some people such as my insurance agent, a lot of my contractors, even just recently, the pest control team that got the bats out of my one duplex, Andrew at Skedaddle. Thank you and your team for doing a great job. Fast, professional, very accommodating. The tenants are happy because the Batman's gone. And once you do it, it becomes easy. And for me, it's just very important to support the people around me. And if you're not supporting the people around you or the people around you aren't giving you things to support them with, then maybe you need to find some new people and maybe you need to start surrounding yourself with people that are doing things that they look to you to support. So anyways, that's my rant there. Create positive feedback. And yeah, anything you to were, that, Dan? Yeah, oh, I, I was just waiting for you to sell me the Nick Hill seal of approval on Yelp or something <laughs> there. I didn't know if you were if you were about to break up with me and tell me you were going to become a professional Yelp reviewer or something. But no, I mean, oh. it's, it's pretty profound, man. It's good. It's like, uh, what was that in that movie with Kevin Spacey and that kid? Pay it forward, right? Where he's like... I mean, it's good. It's good stuff. So that actually leaves us zero segue into the rest of the episode today. We're usually pretty good at those topic transitions, but I just wanted to get that out there. It's something I've been working on personally. So let's jump into today's topic, which is the CREA update. So that's the Canadian Real Estate Association. Dan will get into what they do, but I wanted to start things off here. I saw an article that I found quite interesting, and it was, Certain provinces are trying to attract, so they're trying to put their poll factors out there. And the two that I found most interesting were Nova Scotia and Alberta. So I'm just going to read two little excerpts here. If you can live anywhere, live in Nova Scotia. That's the tagline for the province's campaign to attract newcomers for all over Canada as well as the rest of the world. It's not just the glorious coastlines and bustling urban cities that are being used to draw people in, but the promise of affordable housing. Hot topic these days. The average, and this is what Nova Scotia is advertising, which I just love. The average home in Nova Scotia was $360,476 in November of 2021. I'm sure we've seen some changes since then, but that is a far cry from the national average at $720,854. So, Bit of an interesting marketing campaign. It's like you see those old villages in, in like, you know, I don't know, Spain, Portugal, or Italy that it's like, we need people to come live here. We'll actually pay you euros to come live here kind of thing, right? It's This right. is our version of that. I mean, we're not giving away homes. Don't get it twisted. And then on kind of the opposite side of things, we've got Alberta, who also has their own campaign, runs something like this. The premier, Jason Kenney has wasted no time in promoting his province's new campaign to attract newcomers. Alberta is calling. He says newbies will be able to enjoy Canada's highest average wages as well as the lowest taxes. And there are job openings across a wide range of industries, including energy, tech, finance, agriculture, and more. Among the money-saving perks, the province can promise 0% provincial tax, zero cents per liter fuel tax, and cheaper rent prices in cities such as Calgary and Edmonton. Also, just a fun fact, 
Calgary is the sunniest place in Canada with over 300 days of sunshine on average per year. So what do you think, Dan? Alberta, Nova Scotia, they are doing their part to bring people here. And I love to see it. Yeah, I think it brings me back to this philosophy that I had in the past. And I've discussed this before on social media, but not on the podcast. I think that municipalities and different areas all over the world compete for capital the same way that firms do, right? So in economics, there's this principle, firms exist to make profit, right? I think that municipalities or states, sovereign states, provinces, etc., exist to serve a customer, which is residents, right? They exist to attract residents. That is their Mm -hmm. revenue stream, right? That's how they make money. So you're going to start seeing as we get into different economic times, but also while there is a place to establish competitive advantage in Canada, as an example, in the bid for new migration, right? Because I think we know like some absurd percentage of people end up in the greater Toronto area when they land in Canada, right? This is an effect. This is a symptom of wage to income levels in Canada's major cities are world cities, let's say, being completely unachievable or uneconomical for people to live affordably and to achieve housing, right? And so I think that places like this and in Nova Scotia, they have this program called Most, More Opportunity for Skilled Trades, where they're trying to attract pull oh, skilled trades that. people. Yeah, I mean, and, and skilled trades are majorly necessary to actually building more housing. So from my perspective, it's really interesting because I, I want to examine like one of the most important pieces in investing, and we're thinking about why this is valuable to Canadian investors, is economic development like this matters to where you're making real estate investments. And you could look at some of these things and programs like this and say, I think that that means that Halifax is going to be an exceptionally popular high growth market in the next two decades, right? Which is sort of the outlook that I use for my real estate investments. Like I'm planning to exit most of my investments when I'm around 50 years old, maybe flip them into something bigger and retire, hopefully, you know, have some actual passive investments and move on from this whole game. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's a great, I mean, we brought this up a few episodes ago with the appreciation factor, right? right? Like all of those are external appreciation factors, everything that Nova Scotia and Alberta are saying. And remember, there's that difference between appreciation and forced appreciation. The forced appreciation is what you yourself, the investor can do. But the general appreciation comes from economic growth in these places. Yeah. And if you boil it down to the primary principle of real estate, location, 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 this is where the geography of where you're putting your dollars matters, right? And so it means a lot to me to see different municipalities and different provinces competing for capital, competing for investment dollars, competing for residents, right? They want to attract people. And to me, that means that they're serious about economic growth, right? Maybe not these two examples specifically, but I think it's important to know and understand where these changes are happening. And this could be at a global level, right? Like, you know, when people get into global markets, global investment markets, it's why people in in certain areas are attracted to Canada because they feel they're earlier in the cycle. We're earlier in our housing cycle than other areas and there's more room for growth in the Canadian housing market. The same things happen on a more microeconomic basis on municipal levels in whatever province you're focused on. As an example, you know, Nick, we talk a lot about the border of Quebec and Ontario. So you have Ottawa, Cornwall, Montreal, a couple of different cities in that area, Quebec City, you know, along the St. Lawrence. What's happening in those areas that makes one city maybe more compelling than another? One city has greater potential for investment, right? And it comes back to some of these metrics like price to income ratio, right? Being a big one. 
the affordability factor being a big one. Edmonton, I think, is the only market measured by national banks. I think we talked about this on the last episode. Only market measured on national banks housing affordability report that is actually even close to that 30% of household income that is supposed to be considered affordable unanimously by CMHC and, and most government reporting agencies. So, Yeah, those are really, really good points. I think maybe we jump into, let's just jump right into the data here. Yeah, for sure. So Canadian Real Estate Association, CREA, we have seen a sharp drop in July prices. Some of them fell by tens of thousands of dollars on a national level, with nine out of 10 markets seeing a drop, and some have seen a drop of up to $355,000 from their peak valuations. Yeah, so the benchmark price fell to 782,300 in July, down 3.4% or $27,400 nationally from the month before. Compared to the peak reached in March of 2022, prices are now down a whopping 9.9% or down $86,000. It's only a hair shy of being a technical correction with 9 in 10 or 89% of Korea's composite price indexes down from peak. And we're going to go through what markets are up and down on a off-peak basis and on a month-over-month basis. Yes. So let's start with Southern Ontario, our favorite. Southern Ontario famously led the real estate boom over the past couple of years, but usually on the way up, it was the fastest. And and unfortunately, on the way down, it's the fastest as well. So the biggest monthly price drops across the country, they were all in the region. So the largest $3 declines were Oakville at about negative 86,000. Mississauga at about minus 55,000 and Hamilton Burlington at about minus 51,000 as well. So, I mean, those are tough numbers to see. And then the three top declines from dollar drop from the peak, we also have Oakville, Mississauga and Cambridge actually. So Oakville at a minus 355,000, Mississauga at a minus 224,000 and Cambridge at a minus 217,000. Again, these regions kind of led the way up and they are leading the way down as the new price discovery sets in. Yeah, and I think that obviously the velocity of the increase directly correlates to the velocity of the decrease. Greater Toronto's composite price fell 3.9% or $47,000 in July. And this is based on house price index. If you look at TREB data, I think the prices are down significantly more than that. But the HPI or house price index from released by CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, is a bit of a smoother metric, let's say. So you lose a little bit of that volatility over time. It is now down 13.3% on the house price index or $177,500 from the peak. It narrowly escaped the list above with the fourth biggest monthly price decline. Greater Vancouver real estate has only begun to contract, though it was a fairly sharp one for the month. A composite home in the region fell 2.3% or $28,000 in July and is down 4.5% or $57,000 from the peak. Vancouver had a later peak compared to the typical peak across Canada, but it's making up for the lag quickly. So a handful of markets were actually 
trending in the right direction, despite all the movement we've seen in the interest rate market. So here's some good news. The fastest growing markets are PEI at plus 1.9%, St. John's at plus 1.3%, and Salt Stee Marie, Sault Ste. Marie at 0.9%. So again, those markets are relatively smaller compared to some of the major markets across the country. But there's a little glimpse of, of some good news there. But before we get back on the good news train, we do have, unfortunately, some of the bigger drops here. Dan, do you want to take us away with the five biggest drops? This is from the peak. So when they hit their absolute highest, which I believe, we are we calling, is that February or February and March yeah, would, of this past year? It would vary on a market to market basis. I think nationally, prices peaked in March, but some markets saw their peak in February. Some markets saw their peak in March, but... I believe for the purposes of this article, I think you're you're referencing a Better Dwelling article. For anybody who wants to take a look at the data we're using here, Better Dwelling, most Canadian real estate markets fell from peak down as much as $355,000 is the heading if you're trying to Google it, and it will be in the show notes as well. The five biggest drops they would have used in that article February to July to establish these. And so I'm going to go through the five biggest drops, but I'm also going to go through all of the markets that actually grew last month on a month-over-month basis, because I think it's funny, only nine markets left in the country that have grown month-over-month. So the five biggest drops from the peak to the month of July of this year are Oakville-Milton peaked at 1.64 million and is now at 1.29 million. Vancouver peaked at 1.26 million and is now down to 1.2 million. Lower Mainland peaked at 1.24 million and is now down to 1.16 million. Toronto peaked at 1.33 million and is now down to 1.15 million. And Mississauga peaked at 1.35 million and is now down to 1.29 million. Before we move on, Dan, what do all of those places have in common? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that there's a number of things, but they were typically the ones that really ran up. They were. In your February of March of this year. They also, if you look at it, it, Toronto, Mississauga, Oakville, Milton, they all kind of bleed into one another. And Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, same thing. So really, it's just these two areas. Again, we talk about this quite often. The leading indicators, the two major cities and areas that tend to skew the data for the rest of Canada. Here we are again. Yeah, and it's kind of a shame because we really do want to keep this diversely Canadian coast to coast and really give a a broad overview on the Canadian market, touch on different opportunities from coast to coast. The challenge is that a lot of the newsworthy things that you're hearing, at least on the bottom end of the market, and a lot of the doom and gloom that we're hearing about is happening in two isolated areas, which are the areas that a lot of people outside of those areas don't want to hear Canadians talking about, right? You got the center of the universe, Toronto, Ontario, (laughs) Toronto, and you've got the Vancouver area. These are our two, you know, in quotation marks, world-class cities that we're trying to peddle. And it's interesting from my perspective, because I think the COVID phenomena towards Canada is it gave Canadians an understanding of geography, right? Of what was going on outside of these markets. Because people were leaving. I mean, I still think there's a net exodus from the GTA, from the greater Toronto area. There's a net exodus from Ontario into every province. So more people went out of Ontario into every province, I think, across the country including Quebec, which is the first time it's done this since like the 90s, or sorry, the, I think it was the 90s, 80s or 90s, that we sent more people to Quebec than people came from Quebec into Ontario. 
we want to be able to discuss what's happening in all of these markets that people were going out and learning about. As millennials were going and saying, you know what, screw this, I'm going to work from home forever. I want to go and I want to live in a different town. I want to go. I'm going to move to Halifax. I'm going I to want move a backyard. To, yeah, I want a backyard. I want to live in a in a mid rise city, or I want to live in a suburban house, or or like I want to live in a detached home in a walkable urban area. But I can't get that in Toronto. I can't afford that in Toronto. There's no way I can afford that in Vancouver, right? So where were these people going? And and in a lot of places, these are the markets that are still showing up in those more stable price areas that are now growing at basically the rate of inflation. So the nine markets, there were only nine markets that grew in Canada month over month basis. Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland and Labrador, St. John's, Newfoundland, Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario, Saskatoon, Fredericton, Greater Moncton, Regina, Bancroft and area in Ontario. But Let's be fair, Bancroft only grew at 0.1%. So <laughs> basically 10 basis points, which doesn't really count. It was basically unchanged. And Bancroft also trades like a penny stock. Like if you look at the price chart for Bancroft, it literally looks like a penny stock or a crypto chart. What so, do you mean? Let, let's get a let's unpack that for a second there for those yeah. who, who aren't familiar with trading penny stocks who stick to the, you know, the Microsoft right. and the Apple of the world. You're a big penny stock guy. So yeah. Walk us through what's the comparison between trading real estate to trading right. penny stocks? Well, penny stocks and some of these random cryptos are also like the prices are very volatile for a number of reasons, but the big one being that you can volume skew a market, right? Mm-hmm. So you can basically you can have such a low volume trade that people could pump the price up by, you know, all it takes is a couple of comps or a couple of sales to skew the price up or down and to create a price trend in either direction. And Bancroft, not being a massive market, but being a big enough market to be tracked on Korea's HPI, it shows up in this way. It's not getting hundreds or thousands of sales like some of these other markets where you can count on those data points to be very concrete and a very solid reflection of what's happening in the market. There's very few sales. It's similar to what we're seeing in King City, Ontario. I, I think we talked about this. I was just going to say, yeah, it's right? another good example. Yeah, where you know, you're only seeing I think it went from like 50 sales in February to 20 or 40 sales in July and people are like, "Oh, how's the prices in King City fell $500,000." It's like, "Well, they probably did, right?" But also the data point is not that reliable because mm-hmm. there is such low volume and it's in a market where there's huge disparity between what the bottom looks like and the top looks like. Like in February, a house in King sold for $30 million, right? One residential property sold for $30 million. Wow. That's going to skew your average price and your median price way up, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, actually, not, it wouldn't skew your median, but in the spring, you do get a composition mix that skews your median up because there's more family homes trading. But anyway, what I want to do here is I want to talk about some of these other markets in Canada that are interesting, right? That are compelling where you and, and I want to see if anything on that list of markets that are still growing in price because I actually think a couple of the guys on this list might not even see decline. Prince Edward Island I could see a little bit of recoil. Newfoundland and Labrador, it's going to depend on the oil market, but I would be surprised if they saw any major recoil and but they don't trade up much. So here's the thing, right? If you're investing in markets where you get those huge upswings or that huge capital appreciation, you're also now we're learning exposed to this the negative or countercyclical effect of that, right? So you get the big downswings as well. So you get in a market like Newfoundland and Labrador, St. John's as an example where I'm going to talk about a very cool asset mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about this one where you don't get those huge swings, but you also don't get these massive equity decimations, right? And there is obviously some dependence on the oil market because it's one of the biggest factors in their economy. 
So do you want me to jump into my deal here that I have in, in St. John's or is it something you wanted no, to touch you, on in the broad start, market perspective? You start us off. I, I mean, I guess the only thing I, I would say is it's funny, you know, to look at these stats, all of the areas, the regions, the cities, the towns declining primarily in Ontario and British Columbia. Obviously, there's a few peppered in there from across the country. But if you look at the few that are actually rising and, and doing well, I think it's only two of them that are in Ontario, and that's Bancroft and, and Sault Ste. Marie. And as we just said, Bancroft's is kind of skewed and maybe doesn't really deserve to be on that list. I love Bancroft. Sorry for anyone listening there. But yeah, why don't, why don't you tell us about your deal? And then, sure. and then I'll talk a bit about another one here. For sure. Yeah. And also for anybody who wants to reference the charts that we're actually talking about. So there is that article, the Better Dwelling article, but there's also the Habistat.com, which they have a free tool on their website. So if you go to the Habistat.com, you click on analytics, and then there's a bunch of pre-built analysis. I also put this link here, but it's basically the Habistat.com slash analyze dash benchmark dash home dash prices. And that basically gives you these really cool pre-built analysis where you can actually see like what markets are going up on the right-hand side and what markets are going down on the left-hand side. And you can scroll through all of the numbers that we're talking about. It's a really cool way to get you know put your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the market nationwide. Mm-hmm. So these are the charts that we're referencing. And I, I'd also go through these on, on YouTube if you're interested in that. Let's talk about this deal. So I am looking at 25 Dick Square in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Sorry, can I get that uh, street name again? It's 25 Dicks Square. Dicks, okay. 25 Dicks Strong Square. Strong name, I know. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> do, we MLS bleep, number do we need is, to bleep that out maybe? Probably not. I don't think so, no. <laughs> I mean, it's here. MLS number is 1248943. If you're looking for it on realtor.ca, it's been on the market for five days as of Tuesday, August 23rd. I don't expect this one to last, actually. I kind of like the price. $279,000 for a three bedroom, three story, single family home. It's a brief walk away from George Street, which if any of you have ever partied in St. John's, Newfoundland, is a fantastic spot. It's a walk to Mary Brown Center and many restaurants. On the main road, you will find an updated kitchen with dark cabinetry and stainless steel appliances open to a cozy living room. Ooh. On the second level, you'll find two bedrooms and a main bath with a third bedroom on the upper level, which is like a loft. This property is located in a very, very famous location, one of the most photographed streets in the world. Definitely one of the most photographed streets in Canada, Jelly Bean Row. You know, you like see those pictures of all those houses painted in like fancy colors. Super cool, right? So, this deal I'm going to analyze a little bit differently because I don't think that this is an exceptionally compelling long term rental play. So, you probably can guess where I'm going with this. You got Jelly Bean Row, you got walkability to the party capital of St. John's. No idea. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I found a comp here on Airbnb. Downtown Jellybean Row House, St. John's, Newfoundland for, what is it? 270 bucks a night on average, I believe. And this would be an absolutely direct comp. Three beds, two baths. So you'd need an extra bathroom here. Almost an identical house. Same area of the municipality. So if you were to run this based on... And we use what's called AirDNA data for Airbnb to analyze rental markets. If you're an end user, you can pay for these charts... Or you can actually, you can just like plug in an area for free. So if you just go to airdna.co, I believe, or just Google airdna, I'm just going to type in St. John's, Newfoundland, and basically see what comes up. Have you used this before, Nick? AirDNA? Yeah. Oh, a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Remember we used it for that one of the first deals we tried to put together. Honestly, AirDNA, it's one of those hidden gems that people 
don't seem to be using enough when they or aren't even aware of. I wasn't aware of it until I had to go in and start to do my own due diligence for what a room would rent for in a small town here. Tons of value in AirDNA, vacancy rates that shows you a map of all the active listings, the average price per night, average vacancy rate month over month. So if you're putting together a performa for an Airbnb space or any type of short-term rental, AirDNA is your friend. Exactly. Exactly. So what I want to do is I want to come up with an income scenario here. I'm going to give you a couple of different metrics that I've got from AirDNA on St. John's, Newfoundland. So I average daily rate is between $124 and $179. So this kind of gives me the indication that the comp that we saw on Jellybean Row there might be a little bit richer priced, or maybe it's because it's an on-season right now or in the middle of the summer, people probably really want to be traveling there. But you can see that the bottom, the lowest average daily rate is $124 in February, and the highest is in July at $179. The occupancy rate is 77% on average. And again, that's a bottom of 45% in March and 90% in July. So we know July now is a peak period in this area. The revenue expectation is at the bottom end, 1100 bucks or 3700 bucks in July. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take originally I'd modeled this out at $270 which I felt that comp was, but I, I do think that this property doesn't necessarily perform as well as that one. So let's use that average daily rate of $147, right? We're going to multiply that by basically your 365 days a year and then we're going to multiply that by what did they have here as the occupancy rate 77%, which is actually pretty impressive for a market. Yeah. So so basically, I'm, I'm plugging this into my calculator here, $147 times 365 days a year times 77% of those days we expect to be occupied. You're looking at a gross revenue of about $41,314. Wow. Not bad, yeah, right? Not bad. Especially at a purchase price of 279 grand. You know, I mean, on a gross basis, you're looking at what is that? That's like an extremely high rate of return, right? I don't really look at things gross, but that would be, you know, if you're just doing some quick napkin math, you're looking at like a 14, almost 15% hypothetical, right? Now let's start examining this a little bit. So I would typically carve down that $41,000 revenue figure significantly. If this was a long-term rental, I'd probably be using an expense margin of about 30% of gross, right? But I'm going to be using probably an expense margin of 50% of gross. Not going to lie. I don't know what you would maybe use, but I would probably say I'm going to basically cut that thing in half because I really think people underestimate how expensive it is to run an Airbnb. So if you were to divide that by two, now all of a sudden your rate of return gets into that kind of normal range of like a seven and a half cap, which I really, I actually think is a good investment, right? And you know, this is making the assumption that you got to pay for cleaners on turnover, right? You're going to have a lot more maintenance issues that are going to come up because you're running a a hospitality business, right? There's quite a few different things you're going to have to pay for furnishings, towels. I was going to say CapEx starts to include, you know, couches and beds and all all that kind of good stuff too. Right. So I I mean, look, from my perspective, actually not a bad investment. It'd be a cool one to own. And the reason I picked this is because, and I was saying this when we were, when St. John's showed up on this list, I was like, okay, I have to do one there and I have to do it on Jellybean Row because I personally want to own an Airbnb on on Jellybean Row someday. Well, there you go. Okay. Put that out into the world, manifest it. Who knows? Maybe uh, someone listening has one for sale. Maybe they want to just, yeah, or just be my sugar daddy in private equity, that deal for me right there. Wait, sugar daddy, Jellybean Road. Okay. I'm starting to see a connection there. (laughs) I think you wanted to mention a deal too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I wanted to venture outside of Ontario, but I did think it was valuable to stick within basically the only what seems to be real market left based off of this data 
in Ontario, and that is Sault Ste. Marie. Now, again, just a shout out to Saskatchewan and Saskatoon, which both made it on that growth list, month over month growth list. So I think we'll probably, we've been getting a lot of requests to talk a bit about the prairies and whatnot. So we'll save that for another episode. I'm going to jump into Sault Ste. Marie here. So a few quick stats about Sault Ste. Marie. It has two universities. It's got a population of almost 80,000. It seems to be growing it's also a border town. You're right on the Great Lakes, right on the water. So a lot of the stuff there that I look for in a housing market that I plan on investing into. So let's look at a single family home here, first of all. Now, single family home, a beautiful one here. It doesn't need much work. It's actually got what looks like to be an in-law suite in the basement, $239,000. Now that is not so far off. This one's also been on Realtor.ca for 108 days. So I'll just give you guys a couple of hints as to how I go exploring Realtor.ca, which I find myself doing quite often. The first thing you do is I change the search engine to search multifamily. Once I've done that, I also change it to go from oldest to newest. That way I get to see the stuff that has been sitting for a long time. And I've got two in front of me right here. So the first one I'm going to reference is 166 Elgin Street, MLS number SM221860. 166 Elgin listed at $229,000. So if you're a door investor, you know what I mean? If you want to say that's $115,000 a door, I know that's a metric that a lot of investors use. It's a duplex, long-term tenants. And it's been sitting on the market for 48 days, bunch of major CapEx updates done in 2015. So we know we've got a couple of years left on a lot of those. At 20% down, all you need is $45,980 at a 30-year AM. And I even ran this at 6% just because I wanted to really push it. It's $1,094. So boom, there's a cash flow in property in Sault Ste. Marie. There's another one here with Let's Pitchers. But I love this one. Been on the market for 105 days. Guys, that's really something you really want to take in. Days on market. That equals a whole bunch of psychological things for both the agent and the seller. Again, duplex rented for 800 So call it 1600 And this one is listed at $209,000. So again, right there. If you put the 20% down and you go for a 30-year AM and we still run it at 6% because we want to build that in. Wow, look at this. Under a $1,000 debt service mortgage payment, $999. So right there, even after you've put in your PT and your all your other random expenses, you're still cash flowing a couple hundred bucks. So there are deals to be found. And I think that's really the point we were trying to make with this little treasure hunt we just went on. Yeah, for sure. Did you want to talk a little bit about Cornwall or are we going to save that for another episode? Wow. I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) I know. It's pretty savage. I mean, I I just like it because I I mean, we do tend to talk about Ontario a lot, but to me, Cornwall is more of a Quebec thesis than it is an Ontario thesis. Like Cornwall, Ontario is an hour from Ottawa or an hour and a half from Ottawa, an hour and a half from Montreal, right? It's equidistant to Montreal and Ottawa. It's like literally, it's not in the middle per se because you wouldn't drive that way, but it's the same distance. Mm -hmm. So I like the market. 
because you know you see a lot of boomers who are retiring trying to find that drive to qualify market and we're seeing it becoming popular with people moving out of those two major Canadian metro areas but we also just did a deal there right? yeah we did baby we just locked up a cash flowing duplex with a detached garage for a whopping price of can we get a drum roll inserted here i can probably just do one on my desk here <laughs> what was the price dan what do you pick it up for I actually don't even know. I didn't see the final APS, but it was like around 180 grand. It was, 100, it was 180 grand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I like that. And, and it's interesting. Before we wrap up, I don't want to talk too much about the deal because it was just too good. But that has the detached garage, right? And that one property that you were just showing me on Elgin Street has the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you know me. You know that I've had a garden suite in a garage before in the greater Toronto mm-hmm. area. Yep. And I think that from my perspective, that is one of the huge unseen opportunities in Canadian real estate investing, but especially in Ontario. And I would expect that this is going to go nationwide eventually, but at a provincial planning level, and I would actually, we're going to do a whole episode on garden suites, guaranteed. But when people talk about burying, especially, right? At a provincial planning level, you can actually add a third unit now to most properties. So you can have two units, you can have a single, your primary unit, then a ADU or accessory dwelling unit, and then a DADU or detached accessory dwelling unit on site on one single property. So you can functionally turn almost anything in the province into a triplex as long as it's not in a majorly regulated zone without it possibly being rejected by the municipality. They actually can't take it to the OMB. This has been verified to me in a public Twitter thread by a major municipal planner. They actually can't take you to the Ontario Municipal Board, which is basically where they would fight you. So this to me is one of, if you're an investor, you're looking for ad value opportunities. From my perspective, retrofitting, and look, it doesn't sound pretty. This is like going to be like the worst type of housing concept that like from your perspective that you're thinking. But if you can possibly retrofit detached garages into detached accessory dwelling units, I actually think that there's some major opportunity there. I could not agree more. For those listening, don't think your parents' garage or, or the dingy garage that you walk past. I'm not saying like put think, some bunk beds in a garage yeah, and make people yeah. live there. Like by yeah. no means am I saying like well, you're, you're, you're sizing one up right now and it's going to be what? Like a $250,000 reno, right? Exactly. We're talking about turning these into very livable spaces. Think tiny home or, you know, bachelor apartment type thing. So, well, I mean, the one that I have is it's bigger than. It's like 800 square feet. Yeah. No, I think it's, yeah, it's six, between six and 700 square feet, right? So it's like, it's bigger than a Toronto condo. Yeah. So don't hate on the idea of living in a garage. We just don't want to live in a garage anymore. But also, like, you're on a concrete slab, so instant accessibility. Like, there's a lot of things that are worth noting. I'm going to, maybe we'll do a quick little teaser because, like, we got a couple minutes to burn here before we can wrap up. We hit our time crunch. But Chris, who's buying mine, actually, is going through and, and because the tenant beat the unit up pretty badly. So we're going through and we're looking at how to redo this thing pretty cheap. So I had spent, I don't know, in the past, maybe 30, 40, 50 grand on it. And now we're, we're going to go and redo it. We're going to put in in-floor heating, right? Because that slab gets cold in the winter. Yes. So some electric radiant in-floor heating, a product called Quiet Warmth, which you can get, I think, only at Lowe's, but just Google it, Quiet Warmth. Super cool. It's like a film that goes under laminate. And so we're going to put in-floor heating, keep that slab nice and warm in the winter. And then I think there's actually a perception that people feel warmer if their feet are warm. So they actually keep the thermostat turned down, which I found actually really interesting. So that and then redoing a bunch of a bunch of the other stuff. But he's only going to spend about five grand to basically make this thing almost brand new, right? So, and it's done. Like he's not taking it down to the bones or anything. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, your your trim package, new flooring, 
quiet warmth, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the standard stuff. Yeah. Look, I mean, again, we'll save it for the whole episode because I know both you and I are big fans of this idea, big fans of the laneway homes, the tiny homes, all that good stuff. So just think Actually, that concept, but in a garage. Yeah. Sorry. The last piece I was going to add to it that I meant when I started going on about the slab is they're automatically accessible, right? Because typically your driveway goes right into your slab. So if you set it up properly, I mean, there's going to be a huge demand for accessible housing, accessible, affordable housing, especially in the future. We have, I think it's almost 10 million Canadians approaching the age of 70, right? Almost 10 million boomers who are approaching that retirement age. That's going to be a lot of people in wheelchairs looking for affordable housing, especially in the greater Toronto area, right? So that's my two cents on why I'm bullish on garden suites, especially and detached ADUs. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I think this was a pretty good one. We had fun doing this. Back to the basics. Like, subscribe, leave a review. We're here for you guys. Reach out whenever. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317 and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.